Welcome to the Fear and Greed Weekend Edition, the week that was a wrap of the biggest stories over the past seven days. I'm Sean Aylmer. It was a week full of economic news, corporate takeovers, China angst, and big, big profits. Let's start overseas. Wall Street trended higher during the week, pushing to a new record level across the S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average. A few factors dominated sentiment in the US. The first was earnings season, and there have been some incredible results headlined by Microsoft, Apple and Facebook. Basically, third quarter revenue and earnings soared. The market capitalization of both Microsoft and Apple individually are bigger than the total value of the whole ASX. Apple's profit for one quarter is more than the big four Australian banks' profits for the full year combined. Incredible. A second factor influencing Wall Street this week was President Joe Biden's address to Congress, where he pitted the US against China in a struggle for supremacy in the 21st century. He also said he wanted to hike tax rates on the rich to pay for childcare and education. And finally, the economic data out of the world's biggest economy was encouraging investors. The US economy expanded at an annualised 6.4% clip during the first three months of the year. Home sales in the US hit their highest level in 15 years, and output at manufacturers and service providers jumped to a record high last month. European markets were mixed, just like their third quarter earnings results. At least cases of COVID-19 are dropping in the region, and restrictions in many major European economies are being lifted. The local share market went on a run and is less than 100 points below its all-time high of February 2020. Data showing a distinct lack of inflation, more of that in a moment, triggered the surge, as did the general feeling that the economic recovery is well and truly underway. Helping equity markets are booming iron ore and copper prices. Both are at or near record levels, and both are big exports for Australia. Actually, iron ore exports, mostly to China, dwarfs pretty much all other export categories nowadays. The price of iron ore and production levels meant Australia's trade surplus pushed beyond $8 billion during March. Not bad at all. Oil prices also rose during the week, with OPEC saying it would release more reserves this month. Gold prices oscillated while the Aussie dollar was stuck around the high 77 US cent mark. And finally, in commodity markets, coffee prices hit a three and a half year high this week, and sugar is at a two month high. Is that why my large flat white now cost me $5? The COVID outbreak in Western Australia last weekend thankfully didn't evolve into much more, and the virus remains contained across the country. The big coronavirus news this week was what's happening in India. Yesterday, more than 360,000 cases were recorded in the world's second most populous country. It's very, very sad, with hospitals full to the brim and the country running out of medical supplies and vaccines. The Australian government pressed pause on all incoming flights, as have other countries, and provided aid. Aussie cricketers playing in the Indian Premier League have been caught up, and the government said there wouldn't be any special consideration for them. Meanwhile, the 2,000 members of the Australian Olympic team, which includes athletes, coaches and officials, will be given vaccines ahead of the Games in July. The spat between Beijing and Canberra continued this week. It started with Defence Minister Peter Dutton, not known for his subtlety, saying a war in China over Taiwan couldn't be discounted. Then Home Affairs Department Secretary Mike Pizzullo warned that the drums of war were beating, referring to the Indo-Pacific region, and Australia must be prepared to send off troops once again. China's Foreign Ministry spokesman responded, not happy really, saying the comments were extremely irresponsible 
and will find no audience. That's not quite true because we're talking about them right now. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister ordered upgrades of military bases in the Northern Territory. Not very subtle, Mr Morrison. There was an interesting tale this week from mortgage brokers who complained that the big banks were delaying settlement times for their customers. The banks, of course, would prefer to deal directly with customers, but 60% of home loans are written by brokers. It's a critical issue because mortgage brokers rely on great customer service. But if the lenders are delaying settlement times, then they have a problem. Clearance rates for home sales were slightly down last weekend, though they're still pretty healthy. As always, plenty of corporate news around. Let's start with the mergers and acquisitions stories. Waste management group Bingo Industries agreed to a $2.3 billion bid from Macquarie Infrastructure and Real Assets. Bingo operates 330 waste collection trucks and thousands of bins in Sydney and Melbourne. It was started for less than $1 million 16 years ago. London-listed Entain increased its bid for gaming group Tabcorp to $3.5 billion, up from $3 billion. There's still a long way to go in this one, but the owner of Ladbrokes and Sporting Beck looks pretty determined. Potential private equity buyers of Link Group pulled out, while consumer products company McPherson's is under pressure to accept a bid from the Kin Group. Away from the M&A activity, steelmaker Bluescope said higher steel prices were helping earnings. Miner South32 said higher commodity prices were helping it along. And medical gloves and protective suit maker Ansel upgraded its earning outlook. Fortescue Metals was being helped by higher iron ore prices, even if production was lower. And Westpac said its first half profit will be hit by $282 million worth of litigation provisions, software write-downs, a write-down related to mortgage insurance and other expenses. That sounded to me like a lot of money until ANZ came out on Friday and said its profit would be hurt by $817 million, including write-downs to its retail share trading platform and customer remediation charges. Coles and Woolworths both reported lower March quarter sales compared to 12 months earlier when everyone was in panic mode stocking up on toilet paper. Both CEOs of the big supermarkets said things were starting to get back to normal. People aren't shopping as much, and Sunday has returned to being the busiest day of the week. There was a bunch of CEO resignations this week. Kind of unusual, really. It included the bosses of Sigma Healthcare and AGL Energy, but the big one was arguably the best retailer of his generation, Richard Murray, stepping down from running JB Hi-Fi and heading to Premier Investments, which owns Smiggle, JJ's, Dotty, Just Jeans and Portman's, among others. That sent JB Hi-Fi's share price lower and Premier's higher. There were also a group of stories that I found interesting this week, not that any of them will change the course of world history. McDonald's plans to open 100 new outlets in Australia and currently employs 106,000 staff across its 1,007 outlets. I thought that was interesting. Restaurant Brands, which owns the franchise rights to Pizza Hut and KFC, said business was good. Bunnings Home Videos showing DIY projects are booming and a fourth season has just been commissioned. Bureau of Stats figures show that 30% of Australia's population were born overseas, with England, India, China, New Zealand and the Philippines the top providers in that order. And only two Australian universities made the top 100 in global rankings. The first was University of Melbourne at 63 and Sydney University was at 98. Now I get to the point in the program where I go through the biggest story of the week, the sleeper story, the most remarkable story, and my favourite story. The biggest news story of the week was all about the economy. 
On Wednesday, figures came out showing that annual inflation was running at 1.1% during the March quarter. That's low. Very low. Well below what the government and Reserve Bank want. It may well be that the quarter was the bottom of inflation. In a practical sense, it means the central bank is right to keep interest rates low and they'll stay there for some time yet. The second part of this week's economic story was the federal budget and the fact that the government will boost spending in a number of areas, including skills training, aged care, health and defence. ScoMo and his team want jobs, 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 and they're willing to spend up big in next week's budget to do so. The sleeper story of the week goes to Woolworths. It plans to build automated fulfilment centres to cut the costs of online grocery orders and delivery. The first centre will be built in Sydney's western suburbs. It'll cost $100 million and will coexist with so-called dark stores, which are normal supermarkets used by Woolies staff to fulfil online orders. Woolies expects the new centre will be able to process 50,000 online grocery orders a week, about double the number it can do in a dark store. This is the way of the future. With online sales now 8% of Woolworths supermarket turnover, these facilities will come to the fore. The most remarkable story came from AMP. While the financial service firm isn't saying, media reports suggest that outgoing executive Bo Pahari, the man who got the top job at AMP Capital last year, only to step back after it emerged that he'd been fined for sexual harassment of a colleague, would be paid around $50 million, $50 million, I'm going to say it again, $50 million to exit the business. Mr. Pahari is based in Europe and his exit payment not only includes entitlements, but also what's known as a carried interest a share of the profit of funds he's managed that outperformed. Now, Mr. Bahari was a very good fund manager, but $50 million? I think I mentioned it. Shareholders were not happy at AMP's AGM yesterday. Remarkable. And my favourite story this week was my interview with Financial Review China correspondent Mike Smith. Mike was working in Shanghai when the secret police came knocking on his door in the middle of the night. They said he was to be detained in China and couldn't leave. Terrified, Mike went to the Australian Embassy, where he was told to stay while negotiations started about allowing him to leave the country. It was straight out of a John le Carre novel, and Mike told Fear and Greed listeners all about it and more on Friday morning. It was easily one of my favourite stories of the year, and you should go and buy his book, The Last Correspondent, which tells the tale in all its glorious detail. Moving on to this week's interviews, this month we've been running the full interview immediately after the episode. It seems to be working well, and it means if you've missed any of them, they're easy to find in the Fear and Greed playlist. Monday's interview was with Scott Mandel from EY. We had a look into the murky world of money laundering, how much of it goes on, how it occurs, and whether it's a growth business. It's well worth a listen. Matt Leibowitz, the founder and CEO of Australian investment platform Stake, joined me on Tuesday. Now, there's a man who knows a lot about markets. We spoke about investing on Wall Street, everything you need to know about buying shares in the US. Wednesday's interview was with Paul Hines, the Asia-Pacific Managing Director of IRI, the world's largest big data company. I found out all about what big data is, how it's used, and what it means for the future. Then on Thursday, Paul Bloxham, Chief Economist at HSBC, was our guest. He spoke about the huge opportunity we've been given to implement major reforms off the back of the pandemic. And it's not just government, it's business as well. And I've already mentioned Friday's interview with Mike Smith. That's it for the week in review. Another cracking week. Is there any other type? And tomorrow morning, Adam Lang looks at the calls for a standard deduction for income tax returns. 
it would put more money back in the pockets of ordinary Australians and would save the ATO a fortune on compliance. So why hasn't it been done before? I'm Sean Aylmer. That's it. Have a good Saturday and a great weekend.